Hi, welcome to Penn Podcasts. Today, we'll be interviewing Mark Spencer. Mark is the host of the podcast Climactic. Climactic aspires to tell the stories and give a voice to the many people making a positive difference towards climate change within an Australian context. We hope you enjoy Penn's inaugural podcast. So hello everyone, welcome to the inaugural Pen podcast. I'm your presenter Chris Dixon today and with me I've got Mark Spencer from the podcast Climactic. Hello Mark. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, so why don't we kick off the interview. Uh, would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, well, um, uh, well, I'm not sure if I'm particularly interesting, but I, I can sure talk a lot about my life. So I'm either very long-winded or I do have a little bit to talk about. It's It's been an unconventional life, but probably the, the relevant stuff is in the last three years that I've lived in Melbourne. I, I lived in Melbourne before that as an American Kiwi on OE. I came over here uh, oh, about six, seven years ago uh, when I first left New Zealand as a young person in their early 20s. And I'm now coming up on 30 here in just a few weeks. And the last three years of putting down roots and being in Melbourne have been uh, really uh, an education. I've met a lot of amazing people here. I've become uh, somewhat of a, people call me a climate activist because I do a podcast about climate activism, um, but I, I'm not comfortable calling myself that, but definitely uh, climate aware and climate engaged and uh, definitely gotten to know and become a, a part of, if sometimes I feel like I'm just vaguely orbiting, but definitely sort of you know, w- within what I like to call the climate community, because there's a lot of different subgroups and, and action groups and people with different focuses, but the broader, you know, general mass of, of people uh, interested in climate change. Um, yeah, that's that's been me. And I, my, my role kind of within that I've found is to interview people to try to get to understand the space better and to uh, to find on-ramps for other people to get involved as well. Fantastic. That's great. It sounds like you've had a very interesting few years in Melbourne. I hope it's been enjoyable. And don't worry, I'm already 31. 30 is not that bad. Don't stress. <laughs> um, Thank you. So, Commiserations. <laughs> given you're working in the podcast space and you know working with some of these climate activists, even if you don't like to be titled one yourself, could you tell me more about that? What's it like working in the podcast space within the environmental and sustainable climate space? There's a couple ways I could answer. It's on there's there's two sides of a coin. By and large, everyone I've met within the climate community have been really genuine, really just real, grounded, just they haven't been characters. They've no one's ever seemed like a caricature of themselves. Everyone wants to, wants to start talking to them are are really just yeah, relatable, grounded people. There's been a difficult kind of flip side to that where, you know, myself as, as an American Kiwi and definitely the American side has, has been what's pushed me into doing this, I've realized, is that sort of as a culture and, I'm not, you know, I, there's probably parts of Australia, you know, I'm not sure if it's the same over in WA or something where everyone's maybe it's got a bit more of a boisterous kind of culture. But definitely here in Melbourne, it has been hard to convince people to talk about themselves and be willing to share their stories and kind of there's a willingness, sorry, there's there's an unwillingness, there's a hesitancy to put themselves forward, to feel like uh, someone who's attention seeking or a showboat. And 
and I'm, I've put that down at various points to tall poppy syndrome. And then people will tell me, oh, that's that's not quite what that means. It's something else. But I, I found it to be a really interesting challenge in sort of, it's been a hard nut to crack, getting people to to talk about what they do, why they care about what they care about, why they take direct actions and do lock-ons and do banner drops and do letter-writing campaigns and lobby their MP, even though it's something they're obviously so passionate about and they're willing to do uncomfortable things and sacrifice things to do it, they then don't feel comfortable with uh, being front and center and you know getting attention or, or seeking glory for it. But when I have been able to break through with people and when people have entrusted me with their story and I've been able to shed a light on community groups doing amazing things in, in my own small way, it's been really satisfying and, and really fulfilling because they are great people and it doesn't feel like anyone's in it for anything to do with, with the fame or attention or they're just doing it because they feel like they have to do it and they're not comfortable that other people might be inspired by them, which which makes them all the more inspiring. Fantastic. So sounds like despite first impressions, there's a lot of solidarity within the community from your own impressions. Yeah, and that's a really good point because the the reason why I wanted to start doing climactic is because I wanted to get more involved with the climate community but I didn't know where I'd fit in. I didn't know how much solidarity I would find as a uh, outsider, as as a as a Kiwi, as an American, as a, a business graduate, as a expat, you know, English teacher, as someone who traveled a lot, done a lot of you know carbon intensive living, carbon intensive travel, uh, studied and and thought about doing just business as usual, you know, corporate careerist capitalist things. I didn't know. If I could just rock up to a Stapadani meeting and, you know, not be kicked out of the room. Uh, of course, <laughs> I found as soon as I talked to people that, no, it, the, the movement's big enough, the community's big enough, they'll take all sorts. But I, I did. I, I did find a lot of solidarity, but I, I did. I went about finding it in a weird way. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, it's good to launch into these things, right, and discover it firsthand. Mm. I mean, you can't. Really, I guess it just shows you can't make assumptions. It's fantastic to hear that you've come out the other side feeling like you found a place within that community. Definitely have. In terms of the everyday life of a podcaster, given this is now your profession and what you do, would you be able to um, tell me a bit more about that too? Yeah, so uh, I p- I pinch myself. I really do that. Yeah, now honestly, I'm I'm behind a mic right now. And I found myself for the last, you know, sort of we're into week two now of, of the, the COVID-19 reality. And my whole day is spent behind a microphone, talking to people. If I'm lucky, getting on a, on a video chat like this as well, Chris. And it's, it's great, even though the listeners can't see it. I think it adds a lot to the, the conversation or being able to, you know, it feels like we're sitting down having a chat. If you told me that two years ago when I started doing podcasting, that I would be you know, ever talking to people through a computer, much less doing it for a living. I'd be surprised because, not because I wouldn't think that's possible, but because that's what my heroes did. Because I I grew up listening to podcasts. I was early to the podcast space because I was primed for it. So the look of me right now with headphones on, if you just saw a photo of, of Mark aged anything older than five years old, Mark had headphones on. And I was listening to talk radio. I was listening to books on tape. Uh, and then when I was about 12, 13, I, I 
found podcasts and podcasts were within their first few years at that stage. And it was all tech shows out of San Francisco and the Bay Area about Mac versus PC. And it was all people uh, using the technology that powers blogs. Uh, they were adding audio files to, to that blog format. And it was a way of having people anywhere in the world be able to find you, subscribe to you. And then when you put something out, it would just be delivered to them. So it was like this reinvention of, of channels and what we now take for granted. We all understand that because of YouTube, uh, because of following an artist on Spotify, the new releases get sent to you. But being able to do that in the early 2000s was a, was a game changer. Uh, you didn't have to have a publisher or distributor. Just all the middlemen were totally gone. So people were doing it in that space. Like there, there have been self-employed podcasters with whole networks have been doing not only radio and live streams, but podcasts and doing national, international tours. There's now famous podcasters that the mainstream knows that's happened only, only the last few years. But the thought that I'd be doing it didn't cross my mind until like the, the, the thing that happened was I really wanted to listen to a show. I really wanted to listen to a show about the climate community, what people were doing about climate change in Australia, and just the conditions are right that no one was yet doing it, but the audience was there for it if someone did. And I was just the right person in the right space. And it's not like Climactic's massively blown up, but within the climate community, it has a following and it has a reputation and it's growing. And there's still no one in this space, I, I wish there was because I'd just listen to them. <laughs> I, could, I could stop. So yeah, the realities of, of being a podcaster are there's a lot of luck involved, but there's, there is definitely a, a floor level of, of skill, but it's easy to pick up. The, the barriers to entry are really low. There's no gatekeepers. But yeah, it's it's the Wild West. And even though every day the, the industry is solidifying more and more, there's more money flowing into it from the radio industry. Things are starting to get more commoditized and commercialized and, and the this, this structure is forming. There's still no one telling you no. There's spaces to be found and spaces to be made for yourself. Fantastic. So by the sounds of it, the space has just exploded in the last little while. And as you said, as it's kind of consolidating into those real integral core podcasts for everything, you haven't found anything in this space within Australia. But given this is an up and coming area, I mean, what skills have you found are really valuable in your own line of work? Yeah, so you're right that... that there is still a space in, in the climate community. So in order to make it a success, what you need is, yeah, a certain skill set that you can only really gain from, from doing it. Well, I think, I think, and I'm biased because this has been my path, but you have to start out by listening to other podcasts. You know, there's been other shows around for going on 15 plus years now. So there's a lot of lessons learned in this space, a lot of mistakes made and a lot of kind of best practice that's been built up. So if you can uh, adopt all that, you can start a show in a new area like climate that hasn't had a lot of media created about it, but you can start with 15 years of institutional learning already embedded in what you're doing. Um, so if you listen to other people and if you start to listen critically to what they're doing and start applying not just what they're doing, but why they're doing it into what you're doing. Your 15 years 
ahead of where you'd be if you just started from ground zero from step zero i shouldn't say ground zero (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a bit more has a bit more impact in this day and age (laughs) yeah there's connotations um i think another really important thing for the australian space is independence there is a really rich Australian ecosystem of nonprofits and non-governmental institutions. I think it's to Australia's credit that there is such a rich tapestry of them. Uh, I, I I still don't understand quite where the boundaries of one ends and another begins and where they overlap and, and, and funding sources and who gives grants, who gets grants, why everyone is so insistent on the grant yeah, it, it's a hodgepodge. So because of that, there's a lot of places that are actively looking to tell stories. They're looking for media partners, but they're also not, they should be the message, not the medium. Because if the AYCC is doing something, immediately some other group has some past history or some connotation with AYCC. So you, or ACF, let's go to the, the ACF and WWF. They, they're both massive and there's probably there's probably doors that would shut to you because you are involved with ACF, whereas those doors would be open to you if you were with WWF, just because of, yes, past histories that you're, you're going to be totally unaware of as, as a podcaster in this space. So I think I haven't yet been proven wrong in this assumption that I've been working under that the best way to do this is to work with people, to collaborate, but to be an independent body and kind of stand on your own reputation and your own integrity because you can control that. It's hard, but you can. And you you can't control the reputation of anyone else. No, that sounds absolutely fair. I mean, I personally work in the NGO space myself, so I know there's definitely affiliations that people make. And depending on who you work with in the past can definitely hinder abilities to work with other organizations in the future. So it sounds like apart from good communication skills, which is a no-brainer for podcasts, that it's useful to do your research, know what's going on in the space around you. And it's great to also try and maintain separation and independence from what you're doing. And as you said, let it be the message. Beautiful. So given now you've been doing this for, you would call yourself a semi-expert at this now, you've had enough experience in this field. Where do you see... Right or wrong, I do. Yeah, I call <laughs> myself a semi-expert. I still want the qualifier, but yeah. I'd say expert, but I, I, I never know I wouldn't. how to go. <laughs> oh, we'll have to agree to disagree on this one. Fair. I, I just because I know that there's people like uh, Anthony James who started at at Monash, I believe. He was doing was it called the social something? It's now called the regeneration, uh, regeneration. Uh, he's been going for I think th- at least three, maybe four years in the climate podcasting space. So there is, there was something that was around. I just couldn't find it before I started Climactic. And he was at that point already in, in Perth. So talking to a lot more Western Australian people about Western Australian topics, he doesn't call himself an expert yet. So if he doesn't, I'm not allowed to. Uh, fair enough. Well, I'm sure this is very much the case where the student has become the master and hasn't realized it, but that's all right. <laughs> I'll take your confidence. That's good. <laughs> 
Well, that, that actually raises two interesting questions. I mean, the first one I was going to go with, we might delay, and that was where the industry is headed for the future. But given that, mm-hmm. it sounds like seeing as there's podcasts out there that, as you said, were already within your space, but you had trouble finding, is there anything you would suggest to people to, if they're interested in the podcast space, to get themselves more well-known, get themselves well-heard? Because was this a fault of this person not having good enough marketing or being able to put themselves out there enough? Or was this just could have taken some more time on your behalf to do a bit more research and see what was out there. Yeah, no, that's really good. There's one disclaimer I'll give right at the start that I've got three specific pieces of advice. The first disclaimer is podcast discovery. Finding new shows to listen to is hard. Some people go so far as to say podcast discovery is broken, but people normally say that when they have a potential solution they're trying to sell you, but no one has solved this yet. Right now, Apple has about 30 plus job postings because they're getting into trying to personalize Apple podcasts and trying to address podcast discovery. Meanwhile, Spotify has recently in the last year spent hundreds of millions of dollars in the podcast industry, largely around creating more content and trying to lock you into the Spotify catalog. And they're doing that because they want to give you 20, 30, 40 shows that they think you'll like rather than trying to serve you these 900,000 podcasts that now exist that they think it's too hard a problem to try to find what you'd like and what you wouldn't like. The great thing about podcasts is that it's a low barrier to entry. The terrible thing about podcasts is that way too much crap gets made that shouldn't get made because the barrier to entry is too low. So that's the disclaimer that even if the exactly perfect show exists for you, Chris Dixon, the chances of you finding it right now are sadly really small. In order to fix that, here's here's three things you should do as a podcaster who is making the correct perfect show for a subset of people out there. You've got your niche. Every show does. But how do you find it? Number one, you go... To And actually, number one and number three are kind of linked here. But number one, you try to find where those people are currently congregating. Let's say you want to do a D&D show. And a lot of people do because there's thousands of Dungeons & Dragons shows. I listen to a few and they're fun. And if you find a good D&D show by people you like, it's it's fun. And I'd highly recommend it in times of isolation because it's uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll lift your spirits. So you'd, you'd go to D&D groups on Facebook. You would like literally find any any digital or physical places that people interested in that congregate. You then get yourself in front of them somehow. Examples of how I did that with Climactic is I went to places like Veg Out Community Garden in St. Kilda and I put up posters. Uh, Chris, you might have seen around University of Melbourne. We had some Climactic posters around. I did. I did. And it worked. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had collaborations with events. We've cross-posted other people's shows. We've gotten mentions on other people's shows. We've gotten you know mentions in newsletters. The difficult thing is that you'll never know concretely what worked and what didn't you will if you work if that works you'll see a gradual increase in your listenership which could be because of that could be one of one thing and another thing but you will never ever know but it shouldn't matter shouldn't matter so that's that's step one or option one option two is spend a bit of money you know target people on facebook do some ads 
yeah, really, that that's how 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 predominantly people grow shows who aren't doing it like as a passion project who kind of want to get a return from it is like they they want to spend some money because they want to shorten that that gap as your listenership starts to grow. And way number three, and this is where it becomes an absolute pitch, is you join a network. You, you band together with other podcasters because the hardest thing can be you can find 10 people who would be the ideal audience for your podcast. But if none of them currently listen to podcasts, you're only going to get one or two of them because you don't want to be in the situation, ideally, where you're the first podcast someone listens to. Because as anyone knows who's broken a habit, habit forming behavior, either forming it or or removing it or getting rid of it, uh, unforming a habit, it's hard on both sides, especially when it comes to technology and, and podcasting by its nature is fragmented and you can't tell someone one way of downloading your show because you don't know what phone they're on. You don't know what app they want to use. You don't know if they're going to download your show uh, at night before going to work or if they're going to be stuck on a train with a, you know, in a dead spot trying to listen to your show. And uh, there's so much that's out of your control. It sucks. So what you'd rather do rather than meet, you know, get in front of 10 people who don't listen to podcasts is you want to get in front of 10 people who do already listen to podcasts and a fantastic way to find people who already listen to podcasts is get them while they're currently listening to a podcast. Luckily you've got now big Australian radio, you've got networks like Mamma Mia, you've got Nova and Kiss and all the commercial stations now spending millions of dollars on advertising to get people to start listening to podcasts for the first time. You don't have to play that game. What you can do instead is band together with people who are already in your space who may not be the exact same show, but similar enough that you know someone who listens might have a high chance of also being interested in your show. And so to do that specifically, you know where this is going, <laughs> uh, Climactic's become a, a podcast network. And it's become a podcast network because the climate crisis is is too big for any one show. It's too big for one language. It's too big for one country, for one hemisphere. It's a global issue. And what we really want to do on Climactic is encourage the Australian community to engage with climate starting from wherever they are. So we want on-ramp episodes where we talk to people about cooking food in their kitchen for dinner and thinking about climate change. We want people to be gardening and thinking about climate change a little bit. We want people to be fixing their car, thinking about climate change a little bit. So we naturally want to work with anyone doing any type of content that is climate change aware and preferably engaged. But at at the very least, we will take on any show who, when climate change comes up, they don't ignore it and they don't erase it because that's what media does at the moment because they, they don't want to engage because they're scared of the topic. They're scared of advertiser blowback. They're scared of listener blowback because there's trolls, but there's not that many as we think. And, and we're personally over being scared of them. We kind of want to pick a fight because fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it kind of leads into the next question. In fact, the one I was going to ask just prior, you see for podcasts, building networks is one of the most important things. Do you think this is where the industry is actually heading? Do you see other podcasts doing this or it's where it's how do you, is it business? Yeah. So this is, this is the paradigm. This is the, the way that 
podcasters have become self-sufficient and they've grown audiences and that they've been able to do this as anything more than a hobby and something they do for fun is, you know, starting from the very early days of the first podcasts, people would band together, they'd form a network, they would then be able to afford to have one to two people keeping track of the admin, keeping track of selling sponsor spots and then telling a sponsor, hey, you know, here's all the timestamps for when your sponsor read went up and here's how to manage that stuff and doing all the stuff that isn't creating the content, which is you don't start a podcast because you want to post to Facebook and create promotion posts and track listener feedback and write show notes and edit. Honestly, like editing makes you a better interviewer, but if you enjoy interviewing, you want to spend your time interviewing and there's only so many hours in a day. So yes, networks are, they're kind of like saying that like, you know, once you have a lot of cars on the road, is it, you know, is it, is it a choice to start having a lot of petrol stations? No, it's, it's a natural evolution of, of kind of the, the space podcasters to succeed and and to make it more than than a hobby need a network whether and i ideally what that ends up looking like in a commercial setting is the podcaster becomes an employee hired to do a job and the podcast and the intellectual property is owned by the network and it's kind of like you're a sharecropper uh, or yeah an employee in a company really great and successful and in networks with longevity are collectives instead. And that is the show creator is the owner of the show. They get to do what they want. They get to enter into at-will agreements with other podcasts in the network to to swap promo spots and to, to go on each other's shows. And they, they become a, you know, just like any collective, they're, they're a at-will agreement and they, they have mutual benefit and mutual respect. I bet, I bet you can't guess from that description, which one we're setting up climactic as. <laughs> <laughs> it's a corporation. No, no. <laughs> a climactic collective through and through. No, fair enough. So it sounds very much just in that though, that discrepancy between the network and the collective. Mm-hmm. Would you see there as a difference? Because like, it sounds like the collective is more a mutual agreement, whereas the network is people working for each other. Yeah, well it's it's it a network. Well they're both they're both networks. One one is a company, or or one's one's a corporate structure. The other is a, a cooperative structure. Um, both largely do the same tasks. It's just how much autonomy and how much choice the participants have. Ultimately, you know, your boss can't make you do anything you don't want to do unless you need the money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that there's there's podcasts to listen to like the Fantastic Upstream podcast which is all about climate and capitalism and and how they're irreconcilable. So th- there is podcasts out there about that. Yeah. To be honest, I feel like that's very much the corporation versus cooperation argument just there. So, no, 100%. All right. So, cooperation would be a good space for podcasts to move into within the climate space, but you do see some of the corporation obviously within the space too. No, no, not really. Um, really? Not yet, really? not yet, not as much. You know, Shell, Petroleum, um, yes, they've got a podcast about renewable energy and climate, and it's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. You know, it's <laughs> it's not badly produced, but it is very transparent, and it's 
bullshittery. I'm not sure if this is going to be an explicit show or not, but <laughs> you'll find when you're talking to people, if you want to get them to get real, it's like, yeah, it's it's for uni students and stuff. Because you can always bleep stuff as well. Absolutely. I think slight side note, it's interesting to see what people think would happen in the real world as a student versus what happens in the real world as a professional. Those yeah. two vastly different things that happen in the real world get torn apart academically and vice versa. Yeah. Good so it's point. great for students to kind of get this perspective on what's going on in this space compared to what they expect will happen. That's a, This would be a cool segment possibly in the show of like, I, I've got a, a quick like three or four sentences on what I think people learning about podcasting right now have absolutely wrong about the real world of, of podcasting. You've got, you've got that for everyone who has a job, right? That would be, that'd be cool. Um, so I'm, you could because having segments is quite cool and like you can have a little sting to it and a musical sound and identifier and you know it's like the the 2020 or like the the perfect vision in hindsight kind of like i've got a quick word for any student i know that university of melbourne especially has uh fantastic podcasting studios uh you've got great shows being produced out of there you're uh being taught podcasting potentially in some of the media studies courses and, and media degrees i think one really important thing to know about the podcasting landscape, and that's very different from what you're being taught in university right now, is that I would look out for anything you're being taught in your course saying, this is how you make a successful show. Ultimately, podcasting is still more like art than science. That's true of most media, but it's definitely more true of podcasting than, say, broadcast radio, where if you've got someone listening, you're pretty sure you've got them for the next however long on on broadcast, whereas podcasts, podcast listeners are there for a reason and they will stop and they will go to something else. It was very easy to find you and they've probably got something else queued up they want to hear as well. People know how to make good quality shows. They have no idea in the world how to make successful shows. And everyone who's making a successful show is making a good show, but they can't tell you what made it successful or not either. So if your lecturer is telling you this is how to find success, say, thank you very much for that. Parse that out for the bits that denote quality and throw out all the rest because it's a complete guess. Fair enough. I suppose, yeah, there's, there'll be, as you said, it's trial and error, right? It's learning for yourself what seems to draw listeners in and going back to your comments about those three steps to get yourself out there and get yourself more well known finding that target audience who will share your podcast and you know finding those networks that will pass on your podcast so that you are getting into the right circles and i mean that's not going to help if your show is terrible so hopefully this one gets into the right circles and the right networks too that's right <laughs> but um no that's a really good piece of advice and mark Thank you so much for coming in today and I wish you all the best with Climactic and yeah, we'll stay in touch in the future. And just a quick question for our listeners. If people wanted to contact you to get in touch, would you be okay with this? Absolutely. Best way to do it would be hello at climactic.fm and you can get that link at our website, climactic.fm. Fantastic. We'll also list his, uh, Mark's website, Climactic, on the bottom of the page on the OEP. 